0: Oh, good morning. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And if we've not met, I want to introduce myself. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And we're starting a intensive on outreach. We've discovered that this is one of the key elements of the church in the life of believers in the body of Christ. And we want to encourage our body of Christ, this church, to be more focused on evangelism and outreach. So for the next few weeks, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. And I want to encourage you to come to our Sunday school class. It's called CORE. And what we're going to be discussing in there is extremely practical ways to do evangelism in your life. Did we have a good time in there this morning? Anybody? Amen? That's my guy right there. He's my guy. So let me read God's Word for us here. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 of Romans chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Please pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. Um, Thank You for the way that You have disrupted Paul. Thank You for the way that You have entered into his life graciously as well as ours. In the time this morning that we spend looking at Your Word, I pray that You would challenge us, and I pray that You would encourage us. And I pray that You embolden me to preach the, the message that Paul preached as well. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I want you to do something for me. I want you to imagine for a second someone in your life that you think may not know Jesus as their Savior. That person has a name. They have a face. You have some sort of a relationship with that person. Put them right here in, in your mind's eye. Okay. Now I want you to think about sharing the Gospel with that person. Now I want you to start checking in with yourself, what, what feelings come to you as you start thinking about that? Paul referred to his eagerness to share the gospel. I wonder how many of us feel eager as we experience that thought of sharing the gospel with someone in our lives. What about anxiety? What about reluctance or hesitancy, awkwardness, perhaps intimidation? Perhaps it's even embarrassment. So I'm curious, where did all those uncomfortable emotions come from? Perhaps you feel that eagerness. Perhaps you feel a mixture of the two. But I'm curious, where where did those other uncomfortable emotions come from? I have a couple ideas. Two ideas, in fact. One would be the examples we've seen, and another would be the rejection we've felt. So the examples we've seen. When I say evangelism, what immediately comes to your mind? Perhaps it's the street evangelist. The street evangelist who may be a little bit more angry in their tone than loving. Perhaps it's the door-to-door evangelist who seems pushy and intrusive. Now, I don't know about you, but for me personally, I don't really want to be associated with those particular groups of people the way I usually see them. And I'm not saying that those methods of evangelism are improper or inappropriate or wrong. I'm not saying that. But there's something about the tone that I hear often that I think can repel people from conversations about the gospel as opposed to inviting them to conversations about the gospel. And perhaps you're one of those. So, the examples we've seen might also include those who have hurt us in the past. Perhaps we've been hurt through evangelism perhaps. What about the rejection we felt? I think rejection in itself is one of the hardest things that we can experience in this life. And my bet is that if you call yourself a Christian here today, you've probably experienced some sense of rejection from people in your life for being a Christian. That might include outright humiliation. That might be ridicule. That might be all kinds of things. Perhaps it's just as simple as them totally changing the way they act when they find out that you're a Christian. For me, as a pastor, <clears throat> anytime I introduce myself and the normal conversation flows to, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. Everything's different. Everything changes. From that point on, they stop being real. They just, it's, it's a different ballgame. And I, I got to tell you, that, that makes me feel a little isolated that makes me feel a little bit on the outside. And I experience a little sense of rejection in that. Rejection causes us to go into hiding. Rejection causes us to seek out safety. And for all of us who have experienced that, it would be very normal for us to seek out safety and not want to demonstrate our faith and to put ourselves in a position of being rejected through evangelism. And I think that the reality is that this sense of rejection can threaten our sense of identity if our identity is found in our need to be accepted as opposed to our identity being found in Christ. So if you've experienced any of those uncomfortable emotions, I think that makes a lot of sense because I've experienced those emotions too. I think evangelism is difficult for all of us to think about regardless of how much we love Jesus because there's so much rejection associated with it. So that brings us to the question that we need to answer today. What do we do with that? What makes us eager to share the gospel? So that's going to serve as our one point for the day. What makes us eager to share the gospel? We have 2 subpoints with that. We're going to talk about our conviction of obligation. And we're going to talk about belief in God's power. So let's look at how Paul experienced these things. Paul's eagerness comes from those two places. First, His eagerness is born from the obligation or indebtedness he feels for the lost. And we're going to see that in this passage. Second, his eagerness is born out of the belief that the gospel is the life-changing power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. And that's huge. We've got to understand it. It is a driving power for salvation. So let's look at what the Word says here in verse 14 and 15. It says, I am under obligation, Paul speaking, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So this word obligation is really important. And it's, it's translated very appropriately. The word obligation, just the way you think of it, makes sense for this text. Okay, But I want you to understand the word in a little different way as well. It can mean an indebtedness, that Paul is indebted to share the gospel it kind of makes him a steward. It makes him a trustee. It's something that obliges him to take that message forward, that he can't keep it for himself. When I think about the word obligation, it has a real negative connotation the way I understand it. But I don't think that's what this passage is about at all. I don't think the gospel obliges us in any negative way at all. In fact, it frees us. See, my mortgage, that's an obligation of duty. That's something I have to do every month dutifully. I chose to. Sometimes I regret it. But, you know, that's something of duty. But the Gospel is not like that. The, the Gospel is not something we share out of a sense of duty, but out of delight. And that's what Paul did. His conviction came from his sense of obligation. You see, the gospel is a gift, pure and simple. There's no way around that. The gospel message is free for anyone who will receive it by faith alone. You can't earn the gospel, which means you also can't lose the gospel, which means that when you receive the gospel message, you're merely a steward like Paul. You're indebted to give that message away because other people need it too. You are estranged just like Paul from the Lord. And it's through His grace that you are made right. And everyone needs that message. So it's our duty, it's our obligation to steward it appropriately and send it forward. One commentator says that you have no liberty to keep the Gospel for yourself. That would be selfish. I like that. Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's how we do outreach. So in verse 14, Paul tells us who he's obligated to. He says both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. When Paul uses the word Greeks, he's not referring to the people that live in in Greece, like Athens. He's not talking about them. He's talking about the entire region of the world that was impacted by the Hellenized culture, the Greek culture, very sophisticated, very learned, very literate, very uh, uppity, and and just it was a, a proper way of living, all these things. And so he's talking about ultimately people like himself. But he also says he's called to the barbarians. Now, whatever you immediately think of when you think of the word barbarians, that's pretty much what he's intending for you to think of. So it would basically be the opposite of the sophisticates, the cultured. It would probably be the people from where I come from in Elizabeth, and uh, I'm one of them, to be honest. Uh, Maybe it's the rival college football team that you're thinking of, that you think of the barbarians. But regardless of what it is, he's he's using this as a way to describe the entire world. And then he says it in a much sharper, just, just explicit way. He says, I'm called both to the wise and to the foolish. So he's he's using that to describe everybody. Paul is called and obliged to share the gospel message with everyone, and he's eager also to take the gospel message to those in Rome, even though he'd been all throughout the Mediterranean world already. He'd preached the gospel extensively. He felt obliged to go also to Rome. A totally different group. And that's no different for us today. That's the exact same calling that we have. Paul was set apart. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's a little bit different. We're not apostles, okay? But the exact same calling that Paul had on his life, we have on our life. Consider the command from Christ in Matthew 28. It says, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But do you know what Jesus says just before those words? he says something interesting. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So we must realize that for those of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ, we've been given a command by Christ to go. That doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for the option for us who call ourselves Christians, we are commanded by the only one who actually has authority to go. The king has given us a charge, and by failing to practice outreach, we actually fail to obey his charge. But once again, let us not be driven by dutifulness, but by love. Let this not be just a box to check to make your your spiritual life feel okay. That's missing the point. This this is rather an experience that we have the opportunity to share. Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We've been given a commandment to go and make disciples. So not doing that would be equivalent to showing that we don't truly love him. Right. One commentator has a really great way of explaining this. He says, Obligation to him who died produces obligation to those for whom he died. Obligation to him who died produces obligation to those for whom he died. Friends, if we seek to be disciples of Christ, we must go and make disciples. If we say we love him, we must obey his commandment to go. Now, part of this verse in Matthew 28, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I really love this, that the word nations there is actually the word ethne in Greek. And I don't like talking about Greek, but the point is that that's the same word as ethnicity. And what it really conveys is different people groups. So, um, some of you may know, I like to do triathlons. That means that I swim and bike and run extended periods of time and I think it's fun and it's 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 a great hoorah. But I think that as a triathlete I've found that the triathlete community, it's a peculiar group of people. Okay, um, They wear spandex. Uh, the guys shave their legs sometimes. It's just, you know, it's crazy. We talk about weird techie gear like aero helmets and computers on our bikes and all this you know carbon fiber stuff. We love it. We just nerd out on it. And then you'll hear us talking about training plans and periodizations and brick training regiments and all this stuff. And you know what? I think that that's a people group. (laughs) That's an ethne. That's something different. Okay, now, since being in Clarksville, me and my family, we've really enjoyed getting to know the Army through this church and through this this community of Clarksville, but (laughs) the Army's a little different, Uh, right? (laughs) The, The Army... They speak English, uh, (laughs) but it it seems like there's a different dialect there. Uh, So I've noticed that they use a lot of acronyms, and I hear people talking about PCS, SITREP, AAR, FISA. Did I do that right, Wes? FISA? FISA? And so I just think, hey, in Clarksville, how many people groups do you see? The Army, I think, counts as an ethne. You see how that works? What about the downtown Clarksville businessmen? The ethne. They're different, right? What about the Montgomery County farmers? Okay, what about the high school students across the road at Rossview? They may be across the road, but they're miles away culturally. That's an ethne. What about stay-at-home moms? Is that... And ethne, that's, they have a particularity to them that only they understand fully. No matter how much we husbands want to understand <laughs> it fully. So, what I want you to understand is you are a part of many ethne right here in Clarksville. And that's a big deal. But I want to change the language. I want you to understand that your people groups that you're a part of, these different pockets, these communities... That's your circles of influence. Okay, Those are your circles of influence in this community. And one of the the best things about our faith is that we believe that God is sovereign. That He is providential. He's in charge, baby. He is in charge. And what that means is that there's no accidents. It is no accident that you live where you live that you hobby where you hobby, that you work where you work, that you have the friends that you have. That ain't no accident. That's God's sovereign, providential plan. And you're called to be an influencer in your circles to those ethnes, to those people groups, to your friends in those groups. That's your calling right here from Romans and right here from Matthew 28. We are called... Because we are under obligation. That's the Great Commission moving us forward. Paul himself, he was convicted of his obligation, and it gave him an eagerness to share the gospel. His eagerness is born out of that understanding of the gospel, and it gave him an eagerness. So now, the temptation, I think, here would be to be overwhelmed at the enormity of this task that we need to make nations, or all disciples of all nations, but Please don't feel that right now. Please start small. Please understand that you are called to a particular task, not to the entirety of the task. And It's ultimately God who works that task for Himself. Pressure's off. You don't necessarily need to buy a plane ticket and go to Africa to be on the mission field. That's a good thing. But you don't need to do that. Just realize that where you are is a mission field. And start treating it that way. You're there. Live out of your faith where you are. Be whimsical for the Gospel. Share your faith in word and in deed. Especially in word. And especially in deed too. Being convicted of our obligation... To the lost makes us eager to share our faith. The second reason that Paul was eager was his belief in God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And when I say power, and when the Scriptures here say power of God, I want you to think about God's work of salvation. So I want to talk about how Paul experienced that power We have in our bulletin today, we have in our order of worship, the reading of Acts 9 that's intentional to set the tone that Paul was dramatically confronted with the Gospel, with Jesus, the risen Christ, that he was confronted and his course changed forever. And it was only through the power of God working in his life that any of that happened. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful because Paul was as much of an enemy to Christ and his church as anyone ever has been. He was persecuting the church. He even oversaw the stoning of a man named Stephen, the first martyr in the Gospels. That's Paul, whose name was Saul. And now it's Paul after he was changed so much that he needed a new name. And his name is concurrent with his identity. His name was changed to reflect that he had been changed by Christ and given a new name as we also are given new names in our identity. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was ravishing the church. He was completely opposed to God and I think what we tend to overlook is that's exactly where we are. You may not be murdering Christians. I I don't think so. But you are in complete rebellion and opposition to the Lord until He claims you, until He saves you through His own power, through His own initiative, through His own doing. Notice here, the Lord did not entice Paul. The Lord did not persuade Paul. He did not convince him. He claimed Him. You see that? He showed up. And when He showed up, His power was manifested. And that's the exact same that happens with each one of us who call ourselves Christians by the regenerating work of the Lord. That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. God claims us. We don't claim Him first. He takes the initiative and we only respond to His grace offered to us. That's the Gospel. And that's what makes Paul in verse 16 say, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. God revealed Himself to Paul in such a way that it changed his course forever. And that's what it does for us as well. The Gospel is not man reaching up to God, but God reaching down to man and claiming Him for Himself. That's the Gospel. The gospel is not that a man is drowning in the middle of the ocean and God throws him a life preserver and man grabs hold of that life preserver and he's saved, hallelujah. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that that man has drowned. He's at the bottom of the ocean. His lungs are filled with water and Christ comes down and he not only breathes life into his lungs, but he exchanges himself for him and he is at the bottom of the ocean. He's dead. He suffers for us. That's the Gospel. That's the the Gospel. That's why we do this. That's why we worship the way we do. And that's the fuel for evangelism right there. The Gospel is not about what you do for God. The Gospel is about what He did. Completed act. Did for us. That's why we call it good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news. Praise the Lord for that. So Paul believed in God's power for salvation. Because why? Because he had experienced it for himself. He was transformed when he experienced it. And it set him free. It gave him a deep belief that was rooted in true experience. Our belief has to be rooted in true experience. Deep belief comes from true experience. Paul was just a man. I think we we over-dignify uh, him. We, we give him too much credit because he's an apostle, but he was only what he was because of God's working. What made Paul special was the fact that he had power that was rooted in the Gospel. Paul had fallen in love with the Gospel, and because of that, he fell in love with the lost. If you love the Gospel, you love the lost. If you love the Gospel, you must love the lost. And when Paul was changed by Christ in that moment, it set him free. Just unchained him. And he was just going. He had to. He had to preach the Gospel. May it be such for us as well. So when we share the Gospel, when we share it, we're sharing it from a place of experience. And when we're sharing from a place of experience, it's coming from a place of delight, not duty. We're sharing a very real part of ourselves, a part of our story a part of the life-changing power of God in our lives. thats tangible. It's concrete. There's real ways that you have been changed if you are in Christ. Not just spiritually. You're different. And we should own that. It comes from experience. So when we share, we're giving an invitation to whoever is listening that this is what happened for me. This is the beauty that I've seen. This is the goodness that I have received. This is the... The bread that I have received, beggar, have some. Go find it. It's right here. It's yours for the taking. We are inviting them to experience what we've experienced. So when we share, it's not that we're harnessing our power of persuasion. Nope. We're unleashing the power of God to do what He did for us. It's that simple. We don't have to do anything other than show up and get out of the way and be faithful Faithful to love and faithful to maybe follow the Lord's leading and share the gospel. That's all it takes. So with that, I think about the difference between, in my mind, presenting the gospel and sharing the gospel. And I might, I might take a little liberty here, but when I think about the word presentation, I think about something more like a sales pitch. I think about saying it just right and making that sales pitch and asking for a decision. And I think that's how a lot of times evangelism is done. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask for decisions, but I'm suggesting that when we share, and we share out of our experience, we offer something in love that's not for sale. We offer something from our own experience of the goodness. Presenting the Gospel to me, the way that that word strikes me, presenting the Gospel, it, it seems like we're relying on our own skill, and cunning as evangelist, But when we share the Gospel, to me that seems a little bit more like we're relying on God's power. And so I want to encourage you to share the Gospel. I'm not going to scold you if you say, Luke, I presented the Gospel. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But I'm just saying, share from your experience the way Paul was transformed and shared from his experience. I think that is a big difference, a big distinction. So, I think that this gives us a power to overcome rejection. So when we share from our experience, we're, we're sharing God's working, and that's coming from a place of deep belief. So when we share, we're, we're getting in touch with our love for the Gospel, and our love for the Gospel is stronger than our fear of rejection. Our love for the Gospel is stronger than our fear of rejection. That's why verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. The Gospel gives us power. It gives us power over rejection because in the Gospel, we have complete acceptance from the only One that really matters. The Gospel gives us power over rejection. And so love of the Gospel motivates us to share. So I sincerely believe that this can reflect us as individuals and as this church. I believe that we can all become eager to share our faith, just like Paul, through a conviction of our obligation and a belief in God's power. And it doesn't, it doesn't make all the uncomfortable emotions go away necessarily, into thin air. It doesn't make that just just because. That might still be there. There may be a mixture of eagerness and confidence and also hesitancy and timidity. It doesn't make it all change immediately. It's not an either-or situation. But we can be rooted enough in the love of God and the love for the lost that we find ourselves being eager to share our faith. So, now, to answer that question, where does eagerness come from? Our eagerness to share the Gospel comes from our love of the Gospel and our love for the lost. That's what was driving Paul, and that's the only thing that can be driving us today if we're going to be moving towards evangelism. Now, I think the temptation here is that this would be a really daunting task. That you would put on yourself the need to go and confront a really angry, combative atheist and ask for a decision. I don't think you need to do that. Um, Please do. That's fine. We, We support you. We'll talk about that afterwards and see how it went. Some plant, some water, but only God gives the growth. What's beautiful about that is you never know where you're at in that process. But isn't it fun that we always know where God is in that equation? God gives the growth. It's really not up to you. You just have to show up and be faithful. So, we never know about us and our efforts and our meager scattering of seed. We never know. But we can trust that God is going to accomplish His task. So let me ask you, you know, what ways have you practiced evangelism in the past? I don't know what's the best way for you individually. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Everybody's got different gifts. And you should use those your way because you're unique. But let me just suggest this. Hey, just just be kind. Just be kind. Walk with love. Have a conversation with your neighbor. That's a good place to start. Do a set with the guy at the gym good boy. Have a play date with the mom from the park. Okay. Just build relationships and listen to the Lord leading you. That's all it really takes. Eventually you can share your faith and share it from a place of experience. So for us to become a church that's strong in outreach, I'm going to suggest that we have to be a group of individuals who are strong in outreach because the sum is no greater than its parts. Am I right? So we have to do this together. So please join us. Please please pick up one of those books on the way out. Please go through the daily devotionals. Please come to Sunday School and let's talk about practical things. Please do this with us. So now as we conclude, I want I want to invite you to do a couple things. And these are really practical things. I want to invite you to consider three circles of influence in your life. Perhaps that's where you work. Your neighborhood. Perhaps that's a hobby that you are a part of. I want you to identify names in each one of those circles of influence. I want you to think about which of those people may not know Jesus. And here's what I really want you to do. I want to challenge you to pray for one name. Just one name on that list for the next 30 days. Will you do that? I think if we are willing to do that, we're asking God to demonstrate His power as opposed to relying on our own cunning. I think you'll be amazed at what that does for your heart. I really do. For your relationship with the Lord. I think you'll be amazed at what that does for your relationship with your friend. And I think you'll be amazed at what God might choose to do through that effort because it's His power that we champion. Love for the Gospel and love for the lost. Let's pray together. It is so right and appropriate that we would now sing and give praise to You, Lord Christ, for the Gospel message. Thank You. does not adequately say the gratitude that we have for the Gospel. Your Word challenges us. Your Word encourages us. May we be a church that learns to engage in this collectively and individually. To Your glory alone. Amen.